So we're in the middle of the, uh, near, getting to the near the end of our series in John and digging deeper into Jesus. Uh, we've been thinking about that throughout this whole term and we looked at John 1 verses 1 to 14 in the very first week and then we've been looking at all the I am statements that Jesus makes and we're at number 7 today, the last one he makes uh, and so uh, we come to that part and we're going to be looking at Jesus being the true vine. Uh, but what I want to encourage you to do to think about is next week we're going to sort of pull it all together, uh, reflect on what we've heard over the, the eight weeks uh, from John 1 right through to here and I want you to reflect on that. So I'm asking you to think about what you've heard over these last eight weeks. Uh, some of you have been here for the whole lot, some of you have been here for some of them, some of them you might have been only here for one or two but I want you to sit back and reflect on that and then I want you to think about whether you'd be willing to share what God has been teaching you through this, over this couple of weeks. Uh, and then I'm going to say either you could email me with your reflection or you could let me know that you're going to be willing to come up and share your reflection. Uh, so next week's going to be a little bit of a summary of pulling that all together. So I'd like to be hearing what God's been doing in your life through this series. I know what he's been doing in my life through this series. Uh, but to hear what he's been doing in your life through this series. So have a think about that uh, between now and next week. Think about the different ones. Maybe there was one particular I am statement that hit you and changed you or challenged you or moved you. And then you can either write that to me, send it to me, and I'll read it for you. Or you can tell me, let me know that you're willing to come up and share that. So that's what we're going to be doing next week. As we think that through, I think it would be great for us to be uh, uh, doing that. Uh, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning. Lord, we've sung praises to you. Uh, we've prayed to you. Uh, and Lord, now we're going to uh, spend some time reflecting on your word or reflecting on what you uh, have spoken to us, what you have revealed to us what you've told us about yourself and particularly about Jesus and who he is. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we still our minds and our heart, that Lord will be open to what you're going to do and say amongst us, that Lord, that we'll be praying, that our hearts will believe and our hearts will be changed, and our lives will be transformed, Lord. This morning we pray that you'll do a mighty work in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. On? Are we on? Cool. Maybe. <laughs> um... Now, if I was uh, to say to you, maybe, technology, don't we love it? Ah, there it is. Um, now, we all have desires, don't we? Uh, there are desires that we have that uh, we have when we look out on the world around us, there's desires that we have for our future, we have the desires that we have for now, uh, and often our desires change. Throughout life, I can remember when I was probably a 16 or 17 year old, my desire was to be the best tennis player in Australia. 
Now, my desire is that I could just serve at least 70% of what I could back when I was 16 and that I can turn up most Wednesday nights and play. Uh, in the future, I think my desire will be is that I could just be on the court and hit a ball. It changes, doesn't it? Our desires change over time depending on where we are and what we're doing. Uh, our desires for ourselves and our desires for our children. I wonder what you think or what you believe is God's desire for you. We probably have our own desires for ourselves, but what is God's desire for you? What does he want for you? Well, as you think through that, you might be have a whole lot of things going through your head. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you'll probably be having a whole lot of verses come at you and you're thinking this and this and this. Uh, if you're only new to Jesus, you're probably thinking, yeah, I want to know that exactly. Uh, well, the good news is this morning, in the passage that we're about to read, it is as clear as it possibly could be what God's desire is for you. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read from John chapter 15 and we're going to have a look at verses 1 through to 17. Uh, it has, contains that great verse about Jesus saying, I am the true vine. Uh, but within it we're going to see what that means and what God's desire is for you today and for the rest of your life. And it doesn't change depending on what age you are, which is the good news as well, isn't it? So uh, Karen's going to come up and read to us, and she's going to read from John chapter 15. Uh, you'll find that in your service sheet as well. It's printed out for you, and it'll be on the screen too. Thanks, Karen. In 1 to 17, the vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because, the because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that 
you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. turn myself off sorry <laughs> it's a great passage isn't it uh, and as we went through it did you notice uh, what that desire for God is for you uh, when you think about those things and you look at passages like this uh, the thing that gives you a hint of what it is is the amount of time the word is mentioned or the words are mentioned if you want to know what the crux of a passage is more than likely it's related to how many times the word or the phrase is used. And if you look through that passage, there's three particular words that are used more than any other. Uh, can anyone think what those three words were? Benjamin. Ah, uh, the vine, definitely. Fruit and love and remain. Uh, so they're the main ones, aren't they? And so that tells us that what this passage is about are those things about the vine about remain about fruit and about love and so we're going to unpack that this morning and have a look at that and then see how we can apply that into our lives and the first thing we really need to understand too is about the context of this passage uh, whenever you read the bible context is king um, uh, you need to make sure you understand where it is in the Bible. You need to understand where it is in the context of the whole story of God and then particularly the context of where it is in the passage. Uh, so within the context of the whole Bible, this vine imagery is really important because the vine imagery runs throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And when you look at the Old Testament, the vine is Israel. If you read through it, you'll see that Israel, the nation, is often referred to as the vine. And when it's referred to as the vine, it's actually referred to in a negative sense. That the vine is dried up. That the vine is not producing fruit. That the vine is dead. So now this is really interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus is speaking to people who know that. And the first thing he says to them here in this passage is, I am the true vine. In the past we might have thought it was Israel, but they have not done it well. But here is the true vine. I am the true vine. We'll think about that a little bit more in a while. But where does it fit in the context of the whole book as well? Who can remember where we were last week? What did we say uh, John 14 was about? Jen, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Uh, but that passage comes in the middle of what Jesus is trying to do, isn't he? He says something at the beginning of it and something at the end of it is what Jesus is trying to get across. He's wanting to give a message to his followers, his disciples. He says in the very first verse, he says of John 14. You can remember that. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. 
So you remember that this is a story, isn't it? Jesus is working with his disciples. He's working with his followers or those people that are listening. And through all of that, he's not only telling them who he is, but he's teaching them about how they can live. And so last week, it was do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be troubled, guys. Things, I'm about to die. It looks like it's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, but it's actually the best thing. Don't be troubled because I have a home perfect for you. I am the way, the truth and the life to that home and I'm going to make my home in you. I'm going to give you the spirit. How cool is that? And so Jesus just said that, don't be troubled because of those things. You have a home, I'm the way and my home's going to be in you. And now in verse 15, chapter 15, he continues on and he says, now I'm going to tell you how I want you to live in response to that. What is my desire for you now that you don't need to be troubled anymore? What's my desire for you now? And his desire is that we understand who the true vine is, that we remain, that we're fruitful, and at love. So that's what he goes on to say, doesn't he? He goes on to tell that to us. Uh, and he says, Our, My great desire for you is that you know this and that you live this. And he uses the metaphor I'm the true vine. It's a great metaphor, isn't it? Uh, sometimes we understand metaphors, sometimes we don't. Uh, the key with metaphors is one, is to understand what its main point is and not try to get too caught up in the extremities otherwise we can make it say just about anything but we can understand what the core of it is because of what's repeated within it and so here we have a metaphor of a vine and we find out there's some players in it don't we so who's the vine jesus he's the true vine he's the vine he's the one he's the source of all sustenance he's the source of life that's what a vine gives doesn't it it gives life the vine and then produces fruit uh, and then there's another one we hear about there's a gardener who's the gardener god god's the gardener uh, he comes in and he does uh, two things we're going to find out in a moment and then uh, there's the branches who are the branches it's us isn't it we are the branches and so keeping those three things in mind jesus is the vine God is the gardener, we are the branches. That then helps us work out where we're going to go with this metaphor as we think it through. And so we find out firstly about the gardener, don't we? In the very first couple of verses, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now we find out that that gardener does two things. Well, actually three things in it. He does three things. He, cl he clears out, he cleans up and he prunes. He clears out, he cleans up, and he prunes. Uh, he says there, uh, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Uh, so there's this picture, isn't it, of the gardener who comes to the vine, uh, he sees it, there's some dead vine parts, he gets rid of that, uh, he cleans out, he clears up, uh, and then he prunes back so that we become more fruitful. 
That's what God does to us. He cleans out the dead wood, uh, clears out the dead wood, he cleans up the stuff that's around, and then he prunes. You can go into a whole lot of this and try and work out what does that look like exactly in a whole lot of bit, but I don't think that's what he wants us to do. He wants us just to understand that God's in control of this vine. That God's the one who looks after it, cares for it, cleans it. Uh, He clears off the dead stuff, cleans up the stuff, and the good news is that he says to us that we're already clean by how? By the word, which is Jesus. Uh, The way that we can be clean on this vine is to trust Jesus. If we trust and believe in Jesus, then we've been cleaned. We're already there and that means we're in the vine or we're on the vine. But while we're on the vine, we're also pruned as well. Pruning is not always easy, is it? Sometimes it can be quite painful. Uh, there's some good brush cutters out there, isn't there, in the world? Uh, they go out and they clean up things and sort things out. Uh, but the best brush cutter of all is God himself. He's the one who cleans things up. And he's not only the best brush cutter, but he's also the best pruner. Uh, he prunes things. Uh, he cuts things off. He removes things around. But the good thing to remember about this is that the pruning is for one thing. What does pruning give us? More fruit, doesn't it? This is my vine on the side of our fence. Uh, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? Don't look at the grass around it, but the, pr- <laughs> the actual vine looks all right. And I have to prune that back. And I've got to keep pruning it back. And as you prune it back, it gets bulkier. And, and I actually found out that there's even passion fruit on this vine. And when I pruned it, the pra- pra- passion fruit actually grows and comes forth. And that's what God's saying to us, that for us to be fruitful, for fruit to grow, then we need to be pruned. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes it's painful. But we always need to remember that the God, the gardener, only wants more and more fruit. And fruit is good. Fruit's not bad. We're not pruned so that it's bad or so that we're destroyed or so that we're wiped out. But we're pruned so that we produce more fruit. That tough relationship that you have at work, that difficulty that's going on there and you're finding it hard to work through those things and maybe that's God pruning you to have more fruit. Uh, That situation uh, in your family and things aren't going the way that you expected to go or the way that you wanted to go, maybe that's God pruning you to have more fruit. Your health isn't as good as it should be. You're not jumping around as much as you used to be able to. Parts of your body are not working the way that they used to work. Maybe God's pruning you to produce more fruit. Now at this point in time in this metaphor, we don't know what that fruit is, do we? 
but we'll work through that and we'll find that as we go on. But I just want to encourage you that I know there are many people in this place today who are being pruned. I'm being pruned. There's stuff going on around us that we think, I'm not sure how, I don't know how that's going to fit, how that's going to work, but can I encourage you? God says to us here that in his pruning is for fruit, not to destroy, not to wipe out, not to make you doubt, but to grow you. Now, I don't know how that's all going to work for all of you. But the promises are there. That's what God's doing amongst you and with you. That's God's desire for you. His great desire for you and I is to be fruitful. And for us to be fruitful, he says there's one key thing. He says, remain in me. And he says it lots, doesn't he? He goes on in constantly, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Uh, he says it through all these verses. Remain in me as I also remain in you in verse 4. In verse 5 he says, if you remain in me, I am in you. In verse 6, if you do not remain in me. In verse 9, now remain in me, remain in my love. Uh, this word remains means to stay connected to. Abide in. Be part of, rest in, stay in, be connected to. That all those things are what this word contains is that we, to be fruitful, need to remain in the vine, in Jesus. Now we're connected to the vine by Jesus, aren't we? So that's a great news and in one sense we don't need to do anything else. We actually are in the vine by Jesus. But at the same time, he says to us to remain in there, we should stay in there, we want to be connected in there. And he's told us that so that our joy may be complete. Look at verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Not only do we understand God's desire for us, that he wants us to remain in Jesus and to be fruitful, but he says that that will actually bring you the greatest joy in this world that you'll ever know. You notice he says joy, not happiness. Uh, Happiness is determined upon happenings, but joy comes from knowing who we are and being connected to Jesus and remaining in him. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Abide in me. Trust in me. All those things are connected into that, aren't they? I think sometimes when we think about these things, we get a little bit confused about what that looks like. And the good news is that there aren't any rules that tell you how to do this because actually we're connected to Jesus by relationship aren't we and in that relationship we are in him and we stay in him and he's the vine that actually sustains and feeds and enables and transfers and transforms and God prunes us and cuts and works with us but within all of that he says that we are to be we will experience and know joy 
He's the one that brings that joy because that joy is in him. And if we remain in him, then we have the joy. If we don't remain in him, then we become one of those dead branches and dead branches don't produce fruit. Ever seen a dead branch produce fruit on the ground? Doesn't work, does it? Dead branches don't produce fruit and if they're not in the vine, then they don't produce fruit either. I think sometimes we get a little bit tempted, don't we, to jump to the lemon tree rather than stay in the vine. You know, we're on the vine and we're in Jesus, but the lemon tree over there looks pretty good, doesn't it? Those lemons are really growing well. That looks great over there. I reckon I need to be in the lemon tree. That's going to be better for me than staying in the vine. And do you know what happens? We go to jump to the lemon tree, but once you're disconnected from the vine, you're dead. You don't get to the lemon tree. I want to stay in the vine, connected to the vine, abide in him. And one of the things I thought would be a good way to think about this because, again, remember, it's not about rules, it's about relationship and how we are connected and abide in him and remain in him and how we can encourage that uh, can look a little bit different for all of us in some sense. But I want to encourage us to think about how do we do things that either rob us of our joy or stir us our joy. What things rob us of our joy and what things stir us in our joy? What things help us and enable us to stay, remain and be receiving that sustenance, that life that the vine gives and what things are sucking it out of us? What things are trying to suck the life out of us? And as I was thinking about that for myself, I think there's probably two things in my life at the moment that are things I really enjoy at times, but are possibly robbing me of my joy. And one of them is Netflix. I love Netflix. I dislike normal TV. I don't like the ads. And Netflix gives you so many options. So many options. Now, there are some good options on there, but there are some options on there that I've watched and I've seen and I can't unsee them. For me personally, those things that I've seen that I can't unsee that are on Netflix do keep coming back into my brain and into my memory and they rob me of the joy of Jesus because they make me discontent with either him or with someone or something else that's in my life because of him. And I'm not sure how I'm going to manage that. Because sometimes you don't know what's going to rob you of your joy until you watch the first episode. And once you watch that first episode, you still can't unsee it, can you? But I'm starting to think I need to watch nothing that's over M. Rankings, ratings. I think there's some great MA shows out there, by the way. But they just, there's moments in them that I just think, I can't unsee or I can't unhear that. Now that's me, all right? This is not a rule. So I'm not telling you, remember this is not about rules, please. Because it's about remaining. It's about what robs us of our joy and what stirs our joy and thinking about that of how we remain in Jesus within that. So that's for me. And the second thing that I think I need to be really careful of is my passion for Hawthorne. 
you might say, yes, you definitely need to deal with that. Uh, no, I've got 12 months, haven't I now, or nine months to reinstate it. Uh, but I want to say that for me, uh, those who know me, I love my sport and I love watching a sport. And I really enjoy sport, but there are moments when I'm watching that that I actually rob my joy of Jesus because I am getting so upset that I want to throw something at the TV just because a 20-year-old dropped the ball and didn't handball it. I mean, how devastating is that in the world, peace? You know, the whole world structure of things. Seriously, he dropped the ball, he didn't handball it. But I'm ready to go hammer and tongs. And people who watch sport with me sometimes don't want to watch sport with me because of those very reasons. Some people love it and maybe I can encourage them in their joy by watching me lose. But I seriously have had to think about that. That I'm actually robbing my joy that I have in Jesus because I am so passionately and so angry about a 20-year-old who drops a ball. Football. I don't know what yours is. I don't know who it is or what it is for you and, and I'm sure there are many other things probably in my life too that, but they were just two things that have come to me this week that I need to think through. As I'm remaining in Jesus and I, my joy is to be complete because I'm in him because it's his joy, what robs me of that joy and drags me away from that and what stirs up my joy and encourages me in that? And so that's what I want to encourage you too, to think about what are the things that stir our joy. And it's all about Jesus. It's about him. What stirs my joy about Jesus is when I'm listening to music about Jesus. That stirs my joy. When I'm sitting and talking to people who are telling me about how Jesus has changed their life or where they're sharing with somebody about Jesus or I'm talking with someone and they're wanting to know about Jesus and be encouraged, that stirs my joy for Jesus because you see changes, don't you? What also stirs my joy for Jesus is when I'm sitting down with the Bible with somebody or a group of people and we're reading the Bible together and we're, we're working through together, how does this impact us and change us? That really stirs my joy. Even if I'm really tired, that stirs my joy. There are sometimes I don't want to go to those groups because I'm tired. I think, oh man, I need to turn. But when I go, I'm stirred. My joy is stirred because I'm in Jesus. And we're learning about Jesus and his joy becomes my joy and He's joyful about that and I'm joyful about that. As we remain in Jesus, as we think through the things that rob us of our joy and stir that joy, enable us to keep that connection with Jesus, to grow that and for him to be feeding us with that so that we can be fruitful. Because that's what the best of the passage is about, isn't it? All this... Jesus says to us, is so that we can live fruitful lives. That's what God's desire for us, is that we're in the vine, that we remain in the vine, that we live fruitful lives for him because of that. What he says there, doesn't he? And when we look at it and we go through this passage... He says that there is one key thing to a fruitful life. Now, if you read through the Bible, there are other things. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You can go and think about those sorts of things, what the fruitful life looks like. 
uh, connected to Jesus, living for Jesus. But in this passage specifically, Jesus wants people to know what is the core of all of that. What is the most important thing in all of this? What will drive all of this is love for others. That's what he says, doesn't he? Look what he says. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. As I've kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be complete in you. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down their lives for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. And he goes on, doesn't he? Right at the end he says, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Did you get it? A fruitful life is a life of loving others. That's what he says. Now there's lots you can pack into that and you can unpack that in one sense, but Jesus is saying that's the key. A fruitful life is a loving life. And Jesus says the example of that is me who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus lays down his life for us. That is the most loving act that has ever been and ever will be. And he says that is the way that we are to love each other. And that is a fruitful life. That's why God is pruning us. That's what it comes out of remaining in Jesus is a life that loves others. In our world, doesn't it, it's pretty much people would say, yeah, love others, but they'd first say, love yourself and make sure that you're okay and all that. So now, now, don't get me wrong, Jesus says, love each other. As I, uh, in the commandment, does he says, as I, sorry, love one another, but he says it as you love yourself too, doesn't he? He says, love others as you love yourself. So it's not that you don't love yourself, but you love yourself because you're loved, and because you're loved, you go and love others. And it's service, isn't it? It's acts. It's being out there and encouraging others. Because when we become so introspective on just us, we actually lose what it is to love others, and we lose what it is to be loved by God. We actually lose it by concentrating on ourselves. And that's why... Our whole mission statement was wrapped up in this, isn't it? Our mission statement is growing, showing and going in the love of Jesus. Is that we are people that are seeking to love Jesus, each other, our community and the world and help others do the same. You see, that's what a fruitful life is. That's what Jesus says in this passage, doesn't he? That you love others. That's what bearing fruit is. And he says, you go out and do that. Because in chapter 14, right at the end, he says, I send you out to have fruitful lives. They're not fruitful lives just to keep to yourself. They're fruitful lives to go out. And he sends them out in the world so that other people can come and enjoy that fruitful life. That's why we say going and sharing the love of Jesus. Because we want others to know that and be part of that. Uh, at uh, the school that Karina's teaching at, uh, the Christian school, they've, got, uh, they've been watching in English, I think it is, a documentary called Happy. 
Victoria thinks it's amazing. Now, I think when they mean happy here, they mean joyous, ultimately. But uh, in this film, it's really interesting. This documentary goes around all around the world and interviews all these people and works out what makes people happy and what is the key to that. And you know that they found out that the key to being happy, or we can transfer there and say joyous, is by ha doing acts of kindness to others. We've flipped it, haven't we? We think being happy is just getting what we want, having what we want, providing what we want, and then we'll be happy. But this documentary says the key to happiness is actually the opposite to that. It says when we do acts of kindness to other people, it actually releases in our brain the same drugs, the same uh, chemical things in your brain like drugs do, dopamine. It releases dopamine and you get a high. You literally get a high from doing acts of kindness to other people. Jesus knew that already, didn't he? That's what it is to love others. It's like seeking what's best for the other. It's laying down our lives for others. It's looking out for what's best for those around us. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. When Jesus says, follow my commands, this is what he's saying to do. And you notice that he hasn't got a checklist sorted out for you. Do you notice that? We like the idea, don't we? We like the idea, if I could just check off this list, then I've loved others. All right, I've visited someone, I've done that. I've dropped a meal over, I've done that. I've prayed for them, I've done that, I've loved them. I've ticked the boxes, I've got it sorted. Now all those things are great, don't get me wrong. They're good to do. But Jesus doesn't give you a box to tick. Because we've got to think about it. Because what have we got in chapter 14? We have the Spirit within us. What do we have in Jesus? We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. That's within us. We have the Word before us. We can work out what it looks like to love others. We don't need a, a checklist to work it out. God's given us His Spirit and His Word and we go out and do it. And you notice that He doesn't say, expect to be loved. You notice that? He doesn't go out and say that you are to expect to be loved by others. He says go out and love others. And if people love you back, that's a great byproduct. But you don't actually need that because you're loved by God. He's got you. And so you can freely and unconditionally love people because you don't expect anything in return. That is crazy, isn't it? That is a wonderful freedom. It's a very hard one to get into our heads though, isn't it? Very hard one to get into our heads. But that's what Jesus says here, doesn't he? He says, love one another like I've loved you and I loved you by laying down my life for you. I didn't, I didn't come to expect you to love me. I've actually shown you what love is. Now you'll love me back. What a wonderful truth, isn't it? You see, a fruitful life is a loving life and that gives us a joyful life. That's what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. What's God's desire for you and I? What's God's desire for you today, tomorrow, next week, next year, from here on in? 
is to remain in Jesus. Remain in the vine. Stick to him. Stir up things that encourage your joy in him. He says, because I want you to have a fruitful life, which is a loving life, which is a joyful life. That's God's desire for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and I thank you, Lord, for this passage that we've got before us and the opportunity to spend time in it and to reflect on it, to think it through. And, Lord, we're blown away by what we read. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you laid down your life for us, that we're no longer servants but we're friends. We're no longer aliens but we're family that we are yours, Lord, that we have made clean, that we are connected to you, that we are in you, the vine, our sustenance and our life. And that, Lord, you're going to prune us and work with us so that we become more fruitful for you. That we'll become more loving for you. That, Lord, we will experience joy beyond compare, complete joy because of you. Lord, we pray that you'll make our hearts believe. In Jesus' name, amen.